right, good morning, you guys. How's everybody feeling today? Good and groggy and sleepy. Yeah, I get it. I feel the same way. Well, if you're new, my name is Brad. I'm the location pastor here in Cartersville. And what's really cool is today all the location pastors are teaching. In Rome, we've got Lane teaching. In Adairsville, we've got Jason teaching. And then I get to teach here. So honored to be able to be here and to be able to do this. And before we jump into the Gospel of John today, just wanted to piggyback off of some of the things that James said last week. Uh, just celebrating what God's doing in his church and in our midst. And last week he was talking about how we had set an attendance record for outside of Easter or Christmas. It was over 2,700 people. And everything he said was 100% accurate. I'm not accusing him of lying in any shape, form, or fashion. It's just that in the moment of him saying that, he did not realize that God was breaking another record in that moment. So like last week broke another record and it was over 2,800 people who came last week. So again, like this is not about, hey, Crosspoint, we're awesome. This is, God is moving and doing something special here in his church and we wanna make sure we don't get in the way of it. He's not gonna mess it up. If anybody's gonna mess up what's happening here, it's gonna be us and we don't wanna be those people. And so because of that, wanna continue to ask and encourage you to just be praying about if you need to jump to Thursday night at 7 o'clock, we had almost 500 people here Thursday night, which is amazing. Um, we're praying to open up the balcony on Thursday night. We're really, really close to doing that. Um, so if Thursdays work for you, then you can come Thursday and free up some seats here on Sunday. Another option would be to pray about going to one of the other locations. And I'm even talking to you if you're in between Cartersville and Rome or Daresville. It's just been like, well, you know what? Either makes sense. I'm going to go ahead and go to Cartersville because I've been there the longest. I know the most people there. I totally get it. I'm just asking you to pray about it because we are just running out of space here. And we have space at Rome and we have space in Adairsville. And I just want to ask you to talk to your spouse, talk to your family, but more than anything, talk to God about it. And see if he leads you to go to one of those other places because we are seeing God work and move everywhere in all locations. And so we're so excited about it. We want to give him all the glory for it. This is not about numbers. This is about lives. This is about people coming to know Jesus. And we want to just continue to be all about that. So thanks for being a part of that. Thanks for being missional in that way and just praying through that with us. And I would also say just pray for us as we navigate that together as a church that we would make sure that we just keep Jesus front and center, and we continue to pursue our mission that Matt said earlier. We're here to relentlessly pursue those that are far from God to help them know and follow Jesus. So we're going to keep doing that. We're also going to keep studying the book of John. Y'all ready to jump in today? John chapter 7. So we're going to finish up the chapter today. Uh, James did an amazing job of knocking out the middle part last week. And so we're going to kind of just jump off from there because this is kind of a continuation of where we went last week. Last week, we asked the question, who is Jesus? And answered that through the text. We're going to continue to answer that through the text we're going to read today. We're going to be in verses 37 through 52. It's the last verses of chapter 7. So just to kind of bring us up to speed on where we're at in this story. Jesus and his disciples have been celebrating the Feast of Booze or the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And they have been hanging out in the synagogue. Jesus has been teaching. There's been a lot of debate and discussion about who Jesus is because of what he said and the ways that he has interacted with them. And so they continue to debate. And we're going to see more of that today. They continue to ask questions about who is Jesus. And so this is the last day of the feast. 
And this is where we pick up the story today. So let's look at verse 37 together. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So why is Jesus saying this particular thing in this particular moment of the feast? Well, it's important to know what's happening on the last day of this feast, okay? They are celebrating the way in which God has been faithful in supplying for the needs of his people from the manna that fell from heaven. If you remember that story, is Israel is wandering through the wilderness. God is providing their daily bread that they needed with manna falling from heaven. They would go and get what they needed. They would eat it. They would go back out the next day, get more manna. God provided that for them, but also in the way in which he provided through stories like Water from a rock, which happened in Exodus chapter 17. If you've never read that before, go check it out. It's incredible. Literally, Moses touches a rock with his staff after, after God had commanded him to do this. The people were grumbling. They were thirsty. And God provides water for the whole nation through this rock. And so because of that, the priests would have been pouring out water and wine in remembrance of these provisions, the ways God had been faithful and the ways God had provided. So it's in this moment that Jesus stands up and says, hey, all you who are thirsty, come to me. So he is directly kind of contradicting and coming against the thing that the priests are doing and celebrating because it's a celebration of not only the provision, but also the law and the commands that God gives in the Old Testament. It's the old sacrificial system. It's the way in which people became righteous. It was by bringing things to be sacrificed to God. This is the system that God had set up. But he had also promised in the Old Testament that he was going to make all things right. He was going to fix what sin had broken. And the sacrificial system was just a temporary fix for that. And it also highlighted the fact that we couldn't do it ourselves. We couldn't fix the problem. And we had to continue to come back to that system. We had to keep sacrificing things. It never ended. It wasn't a permanent fix. And so it was this endless cycle that would go on. And so the things that were meant to satisfy never satisfied forever. They never did everything that needed to be done. And so what ultimately was meant to satisfy didn't. And it made me think of this birthday of my oldest son, his, his name's Cooper. He was turning nine at the time. And we were asking him, hey, what do you want to do for your birthday? Like, we can have a party. We can, you know, do a lot of different things. What do you want to do? He's like, can I just do whatever I want to do? That's dangerous when a nine-year-old says, can I do whatever I want to do? So we, we were like, wait, what do you mean? Like, what does that mean? He's like, I, you know, I just want to be the boss for the day. Like, I pick what we eat. I pick what we do. I pick, you know, like, we're going to celebrate together as a family, but he gets to pick it all. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's totally fine. You pick what you want, want to do. So breakfast, he picks what he wants. Of course, it was very sugary, donuts, things like that. Um, he gets to pick lunch. He gets to pick dinner, dessert. He picked a movie we were going to watch together. He got to play the video games he wanted to play. He got to stay up late. Like, he got to do all the things, right, that he thought was just going to, Make the day amazing and the perfect celebration for his birthday. So we finish the day. We're putting him to bed and we're just talking to him, asking him, hey, how was your birthday, man? Did you like it? He's like, wasn't as good as I thought. We're like, 
What do you mean? Like we did everything you said. We did everything you wanted to do. What do you, how was it not as good as you thought? He's like, it just, I don't know. Like it just wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. And next year, you guys can plan it. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. We'll plan it next year. But I could totally relate to that feeling because I feel like that happens to all of us, right? Like we build something up in our head. This thing's going to satisfy this particular need we've got. We get the thing. We get the relationship. We get the promotion. We get the money. We get the whatever the thing is. And once we get it and we sit with it, we're like, that didn't really fill me up like I thought it would. You know, like that didn't really meet this need that I thought I had. And it ultimately doesn't satisfy. This is the same thing the nation Israel was feeling. Like they were continuing to have to come back because ultimately those things would not satisfy. Now, God was faithful in providing. This has nothing to do with God as far as his provision and his faithfulness, but ultimately it was not the fix that they needed. They needed something different. So why is Jesus standing up and saying this in this moment? Because he's the one who's going to fix that problem. He's the one who's ultimately going to satisfy, and he's going to stop this cycle of having to continue to come back again and again and again. And so here's what he says in verse 38 as far as what does this mean now? He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So living water is a phrase that's used to describe flowing water. Okay, so if it's got movement to it, it's considered living water. And then in addition to it flowing, water just naturally has certain attributes when it's mentioned in Scripture. Number one, water just brings life. We need water to survive. We need water to live. But another thing about living water and moving water is this water tends to be clean, whereas stagnant water can be dirty. You've seen this in um, survivor shows, right? They come upon a pond or some kind of like puddle, they're not going to drink that water unless they have an ability to boil it because of the things that grow in the water. And so if they find a stream or a brook or something like that, they tend to be able to drink that because it's clean, whereas the stagnant isn't. The other thing about this flowing living water is that it has a source and it continues. It's not going to dry up like a puddle or a, a little pond might dry up. If it's a creek, if it's a stream, it's going to continue. And so Jesus is talking about this water, this living water that people are going to be able to have access to. And it's exactly like the water he was talking about from John chapter 4. Y'all remember the interaction with the woman at the well? And Jesus says, hey, if you knew who was talking to you, I could have given you water and you would have never drank, like needed another drink again. You wouldn't have thirsted again. She's like, oh, give me that. And this is the water that he's talking about. And so he's talking about the key to accessing this water is belief in him. So again, why is he saying this in the moment that he's saying it as they're pouring out water and wine? Hey, that's going to eventually dry up. That's going to eventually be done. You're going to have to come back and get it again. What I'm offering you is living water that will literally be in you. You'll never thirst again. And so it's going to actually be in us through believing in him. And so he is the key in changing this system that used to be the way in which people were sanctified and people were able to come to, into the presence of God and know God. 
And so Jesus changes this whole provision because he will now be the provision and he is now the way to be sanctified. And so there's now no reason to keep coming back to the rock to get water anymore. It's never ending because he is now the rock that we're gonna go to. And so this is totally different and changes everything. Because when we believe in Jesus, we get Jesus and he's all we're ever gonna need. And he is the sacrifice that we needed all along. And so the whole problem with the sacrificial system was this is the blood of animals. This is drink offerings. There's all types of different offerings that you would sacrifice. But ultimately, they were never enough to cover the sins that all of us have because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We're all in the same boat. And so none of us can take care of this sin problem. God is the only one who's going to be able to. And so... This is the truth of the gospel, right? Is that Jesus is the only one in all of human history who could pay our sin debt because he's the only one who's never sinned because the penalty of sin is death. So each and every one of us deserve death. Jesus is the only one who actually didn't, which is why he's the only one who could actually pay it. He's the only one who could do it because if any one of us were to do it, it would not work. We are not righteous, we would not be able to co cover over sins. Only he can. So he goes to the cross to pay for the sin issue that me and you have, the thing that's killing us, that has broken creation since the beginning. He goes to the cross to pay our debt, our sin penalty. He takes care of that for all of us, both past, present, future. He takes care of it all because he is the only perfect sacrifice the living God. But because he's king of kings, he's Jesus, he's not conquered by anything, including death. So three days later, he raises again to conquer sin and death for us to have a way back to God, to be redeemed again, to be righteous, not because of our righteousness, but because of his righteousness. So now we get Jesus's righteousness through his sacrifice, through his forgiveness, through his resurrection, and then after he's raised from the dead, he spends about a month with his disciples, teaching, restoring, making sure people see him, and then he heads back to heaven, and he is then glorified, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And this is where he is now, interceding on behalf of you and me. So this is the key to accessing this living water that he's talking about. It's belief in him. It's coming to him, realizing he's paid for everything that we needed paid for. He's forgiven everything that we needed to be forgiven of. And when we come to him in belief, then we get access to this source of living water. So what is this water? This is not just water. We're not talking about actual water here. What are we talking about? Verse 39 answers that question. It says, now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So at this point, they'd not actually received the Holy Spirit because Jesus had not yet finished his mission of rescuing us from sin and death, after which he would return to heaven and be glorified, which we just talked about, right? That hasn't happened yet. So the Holy Spirit had come at the time that John is writing this letter, but it was not presently there at the events that he's writing about. Does that make sense? 
So not present in the actual event he's writing about, but he knows the Holy Spirit's already come as he's writing it. So the water or the spring that's now flowing in us is sourced not by our good works or the good things that we do or our happy thoughts that we have or our truth or any of those things. It is sourced by the Spirit of God. We know him as the Holy Spirit. And we receive him the moment that we believe in Jesus, the gospel we just talked about. And so Jesus is offering us his very presence to reside individually in each one of us who believe, thus making us the new temple. Okay, Brad, what are you talking about? The temple. Okay, in the Old Testament, there was a tabernacle that God gave the plans to for the people of Israel to create this massive tent that would house the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant is what housed the glory of God, the presence of God. It would be placed in the holiest of holies inside the tabernacle. Tabernacle was temporary because they're wandering through the desert. And so once they get to the promised land, they build a permanent temple in which the Ark of the Covenant is placed in the holiest of holies. It's all the same idea, but ultimately the temple houses the presence of God. And so back then in the Old Testament, the rabbis would just talk about how the presence of God resided in the temple. Therefore, the only place on planet earth in which heaven and earth intersected was that place at the temple. Because that's where God's spirit was. It's where his presence resided. It's where his glory was, right? And so with Jesus coming and making a way for us to be restored and redeemed and be welcomed back into the family of God, to know God again as our father, he gives us the Holy Spirit that now resides in us, the presence of God in us, thus making us the new tabernacle, making us the new temple, So now where there used to be one place where heaven and earth intersected, now it's every single place there's a believer in Jesus because that's where the Holy Spirit is now. We don't have to go to Jerusalem to go see God anymore, to go experience God anymore. God lives in us and he works through us. And so this living water that we're talking about is literally in and with us everywhere we go, which matches up with when we read about the fact that we're ambassadors for Christ, that no one has seen God, but God's love is made complete in us, those of us that know Jesus, in how we love. And how we love is not something that we can just do because that's a supernatural thing. I think you and I both know, like, we can get our feelings hurt. We can get all up in our pride sometimes. We can get angry and When we get in those places, we respond out of those things when it's just about us, right? And that can look ugly. That can look really angry. That can be very dishonoring of other people. There's a lot of things that we do that I can't mimic or do on this stage right now because I'm at church right now. And it would not be cool for me to do some of those things. But if we're being honest, those are the things that we kind of default to, right? We want to punch the person in the face. We want to cuss somebody out. We want to wreck them with our car. If we're being honest, like that's the stuff that can kind of like start to come out. And so to truly live in this love and in these commands and in these things that Jesus is calling us to, he knows we can't do that in and of ourselves. We need him. We need his spirit in us. And so that's what he is talking about here. And so it's important for us to know a few things about the Holy Spirit 
to know that he's in us and with us always. We're talking about the, the very spirit of God. This is who God is. This is part of the Trinity. Trinity is not a word you're going to find in the Bible, but it's a theological understanding and term that we use to understand the nature of who God is, right? So we've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons of one God. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of that right now, but it really helps us to understand who we're talking about is God, the Spirit of God in us. And so we also call the Spirit of God the Spirit of truth because of what we see in John 16. He guides us in all truth. He also relays us to us what Jesus says. So when Jesus makes these teachings and these commands... It's like, how am I going to remember all this stuff? Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who's continuing to remind you of what he's saying and what he's calling you to and who he's calling you to be. The Holy Spirit in you is doing that constantly. And here's the kicker in Acts 1.8. We're told the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to go and do these things, to live this life, to actually be able to follow Jesus requires the Holy Spirit in us to enable us to do it. So it's not meant to be done out of your own power or my own power or our own giftings or talents or anything like that. That doesn't work. Like when we try to do that, we get burnt out, we get frustrated, we get tired. We were meant to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so some of us maybe are walking in here really tired, really frustrated, and other people may be frustrated at you because you haven't actually leaned into this truth of knowing I'm actually supposed to be doing this out of the power of the Holy Spirit, not out of my own power. And when we do it in our own power, the other problem with that is that doesn't give people a clear picture of who Jesus is because we mess that up. We need him to do it in us and do it through us. So here's the deal. If you know Jesus is Messiah, you need to know the very spirit of God lives in you right now, today. That might be a game changer for some of you because you've never heard it that way. But if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as Messiah for all the things we already talked about, then you have God's spirit in you right now. And we as Christians need to live in that truth to be able to represent him well and to also be able to live in the life that he calls us to, to truly experience it. Now, as he's saying these things, these are big things he's saying, game-changing things. So, how did the people who are listening to him say these things respond? Well, we see the response in the very next verses. Verse 40 says, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not scripture said that the, the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Now, this is, again, a theme we saw from last week, but there's division when Jesus is talking about these things. People are arguing and debating who Jesus really is, and this should sound pretty familiar to us, right? I mean, this is happening still today. We get in debates and discussions about who Jesus is with family sometimes, with neighbors, with coworkers. We hear debates about who Jesus is in podcasts, on TV shows. It's still happening over 2,000 years later. The debates and the division 
continue, but the specific things that they're debating right now are, is he the prophet? Who's the prophet? Well, this is one that was meant to be like Moses that is promised in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And then who is the Christ? Well, the Christ we talked about last week, this is a title, not a last name. So Jesus Christ is his title. It's Messiah. It's the anointed king. This is who the Christ is. And so what's funny about this debate and this conversation is they're debating whether he's the Christ because of his biological kind of where he comes from biologically, his ancestry, as well as his geographic like birthplace, like where he's from. And they're like, oh, he, he can't come from Galilee and he's got to come from the line of David. Well, what's interesting is Jesus fulfills both of those Old Testament prophecies because he was born in Bethlehem. And both of his parents, even though Joseph wasn't a part of the creation of Jesus at all, both of his parents come from the line of David. So Jesus is the Christ. He fulfills all of the criteria, every prophecy, which the probability of someone doing that is astronomical. Like the numbers are crazy. And this is how we know Jesus is who he says he is. And so Jesus fulfills these things they're actually talking about, but, but what's I think really hopeful and gives me a lot of peace is knowing that it really doesn't matter what these people are debating and who they believe Jesus to be, just like it doesn't really matter who I believe Jesus to be or who you believe Jesus to be. All that matters is who Jesus says he is because that's who he is. You know what I mean? Like that gives me peace because if I'm debating someone and and I'm having a conversation about who Jesus is with somebody, I don't have to get all up in my feelings and get angry and like attack anyone because what they're saying about who Jesus is doesn't change anything about who he is. He is who he is. He is and will always be. It doesn't matter what any one of us say. It's not changing the nature of who Jesus is. And so I love that and it feels just reinforced by the statement that keeps coming up people wanted to lay hands on him they keep thinking about arresting him they want to lock him up no one ever does any of that why is that well because jesus is and will always be you don't touch jesus unless jesus lets you touch jesus you know what i mean like nothing's going to happen unless jesus okays it and he lets it happen we see that play out all the way up to the cross right he lets the guards take him he doesn't let peter defend him And so this is who Jesus is, and it doesn't matter about anything else anyone else says or does. He is. He will always be. He is unchanging. And so you see the Pharisees struggle with this in these next few verses. In verse 45, it says, The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. So the officers are the temple guards, and these are Levites. These are the ones who take care of the temple. They know the Jewish laws. They know the commands. They know all the things that the Pharisees know. And so with Jesus saying the things he's saying, they should have arrested him, but they didn't. Why didn't they? Well, because no one's ever spoke like this is what they said, which is completely right because Jesus is the one who said, love and pray for your enemies in Matthew 5. No one says that. No one teaches that. People teach eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? 
If they punched you in the face, it's totally good for you to punch them in the face. If they shoved you, you can shove them. If they lied about you to get that promotion, then you can lie about them to get the next promotion. Like whatever the thing is, it's all good if it was done to you first. I've heard parents say this to their kids before and I'm like, that's not what Jesus is saying here. And I've felt the same tension in me. Like, well, hey, if they pushed you first, kid, it's okay. Like this is just something in us that we naturally want to do, but yet Jesus is calling us to something different. No one speaks like this. But this is who Jesus is saying we're meant to be. He's also the one that said, if you've even thought of someone lustfully, you've committed adultery. Everyone up to then has just been like, if you had the physical act of adultery happen, then you've committed adultery. Jesus is highlighting the power of our thoughts and what goes on in our head. He raises the level on what is or isn't sin and calling us to something more, which is again, why the Holy Spirit is so important. And so this is totally different than anybody's ever spoken about sin. He's also the one who said in Matthew 18 to forgive not seven times, but seven times, 77 times. We forgive and then we keep forgiving. If people's, anyone's asking for forgiveness, we gotta keep offering it because that's who God is. And we're meant to be representatives of him. We're, we're his kids. So we're called to be forgiving just like he does. He's also the one that said the last will be first in Matthew 20. That doesn't match up with any logic that we see today, right? We grow up with when you run the race, if there's people ahead of you, you don't win, you lose. When you play the game, if you have less points than the other team, you don't win, you lose. When you take the math test, if you don't get the answers right, you don't pass, you fail. When you work and you do a good job at work, you get promotions, you don't get fired. You, this is how life works, right? It's, you earn, you do things, and you look out for you. And when you look out for you, then you win. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. The last will actually be first in my kingdom because Jesus' kingdom is not about you or me. It's about us serving others. It's about giving ourselves away. And then he takes some of that idea even further in Matthew 10 when he says, lose your life to find it. If you want to get life, you actually got to lose your life. Well, this goes back to the gospel, right? In order for us to live, Jesus has to die. And for us to live, we have got to die to our sin. We've got to die to the old dead self and live in Christ. This is why we say what we say when we baptize people, right? Dead to sin, raised to walk a new life. And so this is who Jesus is. This is what he's saying. He's talking like no one else. These temple guards realize it. They hear it. They see it. And then here's the kicker. He's the one in John 10 and in multiple other places in scripture who says he's one with God. Jesus is God. No one talks like this. Why doesn't anyone talk like this? If you talk like this back in the day, they kill you. So no one says things like this. On top of the fact that anyone else who says it, it wouldn't be true. But this is what Jesus is saying. These are the things he says. In this moment, he's saying, come to me if you're thirsty. 
and I'll give you something that will never run out, never run dry, and you'll never thirst again. And so Jesus' words change the official's actions. They hear him speaking and they hear the things he's saying, and they don't do the thing that they're supposed to do or the thing they would normally do. Their actions change. So that leads me to ask the question of, if I don't see my actions changing from before I knew Jesus to now following Jesus, am I really hearing the words of Jesus? Am I really listening? And I would want to do the same thing for all of us, right? If we don't see our actions changing, are we actually listening to the words of Jesus? Because when we listen, it changes things. When we hear him, it changes things. This is why this is so important. This is why we have to open this up and actually read it. There's power in these words because these aren't just normal words. You're not reading Dr. Seuss, right? This is the inspired word of God. It's without error. It's written over hundreds and hundreds of years by multiple different authors, yet it communicates the truth of the same God. And so when we open this up and we read it and we really take it in, it has the ability to change us. And ultimately, Jesus uses this as his main way to communicate to us, to talk to us. And so this is why we do small groups. This is why we do the institute. It's to dig into this more, to talk about this, to hear each other's perspectives and what God's doing in us through this his word, the Bible, the scriptures. And so some of us maybe need to join a group, maybe we need to sign up for a class, but we definitely need to commit to actually being in it and reading it. And so like the officials, we could see God changing us, renewing our mind is one of the ways the Bible says it. Now, when there's changes in actions, there's questions. People will ask questions when things change like that. And so we see that play out in verse 47. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So the Pharisees have had a track record of having this really bad habit of looking their nose down at people who don't know as much as they know. And they're also really troubled because of what we just talked about. The temple guards knew a lot of the things that they know, the Jewish laws, the rituals, the things that are expected of people who are following the way that God has laid out. And as keepers of the temple, this should have led them to follow through on their orders, but they didn't. And this only points to Jesus being the Messiah even more, but this is also why the authorities and the other Pharisees criticized them as well as the crowd who's listening saying they're uneducated and they're cursed because they don't know enough. They don't know as much as we know. And so as they're kind of berating these officials, these officers, these guards, Nicodemus enters into the conversation. And this is the same Nicodemus that we read about in John chapter three that was asking about what it means to be born again. Like how can someone be born again? And so we see this interaction in verses 50 through 52. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, 
Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now, what is Nicodemus trying to do here? Like, why is he engaging in this conversation? Well, it it seems as though he's creating space for the Pharisees to actually hear what Jesus is saying. He's like, doesn't our law require us to actually hear and listen to what this guy is saying, what he's doing? Well, why would he want to create that space? Well, we've been talking for weeks now. Belief starts with hearing, not seeing. And so if that's the case, Nicodemus is trying to help everybody to hear what he has heard, what these officers just heard. Help these Pharisees hear who Jesus really is, what he's really saying, because if they do, what Jesus says changes people. Because it's true. Because it's real. Because it gives life. And so the Pharisees immediately turn on Nicodemus, asking if he's also from Galilee, while also stating that no prophets ever come out of Galilee. Now, it doesn't say in parentheses here, said with sarcasm. So we don't really know, but we do know these are real people who feel threatened. And when people feel threatened, one of our defense mechanisms is sarcasm. So this feels very sarcastic. I don't know if they actually said it was sarcasm. That's the way I'm reading it because it just seems like that fits right in because of the things they say, both asking him if he's from Galilee as well as saying no prophets come out of Galilee when there's actually two pretty well-known prophets that came out of Galilee. We've got Jonah and we've got Hosea. And what's even more interesting about those prophets is they both have foreshadowing to the Messiah who's to come. Jonah was in a fish for how long? Three days before he got spat back out. Jesus was dead for three days. Hosea in chapter 6 verse 2 has more foreshadowing to who Jesus is and his coming. And so these Pharisees are feeling threatened and they're saying these things and they're coming against what the officials and the officers and Nicodemus have said to them. And this exchange at the end of the day really shows us the fear and the pride that the Pharisees are wrestling with. And both of them have caused them to miss who Jesus is, fear and pride. They've caused them to totally not hear Jesus and realize who he actually is. And if we're not careful, those same things can be the things that keep us from actually seeing who Jesus is. If we're prideful thinking life is all about us or thinking we know all the things we need to know about God or we've got this following Jesus thing figured out, we start leaning on ourselves, we start trusting in ourselves, we can start to miss who Jesus actually is. When we start being afraid of losing influence or how people perceive us or if we're getting the approval that we so desperately want from others, when we start leaning into things like that, we can miss who Jesus is. We can miss hearing the things he's got to say to us. And so pride and fear are big ones for the Pharisees and they can be big ones for us that hold us back and that hinder us. But the truth of who Jesus is changes everything. And so there's no need for fear because 
Jesus' perfect love drives out fear. So we don't have to hold on to that. We don't have to be afraid. We can embrace the love and the grace and the mercy and the acceptance that Jesus offers us. And there's no need to be prideful because we've all sinned. We've all messed up. We're all in need of a Savior. And so Jesus graciously forgives us all. So we don't have to hold on to this pride. We don't have to hold on to this fear. We can continue to see the answer to who Jesus is by hearing what he actually has to say and the truth that causes this debate and division, it also changes people and it changes us. And so regardless of how we or anyone else respond to who Jesus is, we find the answer is that he is and will always be the way, the truth, and the life. He is and will always be king of kings, prince of peace. He is and will always be the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, knows every hair on your head, He knows you. He knows the good and he knows the bad. The things you've said, the things you've just thought, the things you've never told anybody. He knows all those things and he still loves you. He still went to the cross for you. He's still calling you to himself. He's still offering you this living water, his very spirit to live in you. It doesn't matter how you've responded in the past. It doesn't matter how people you've talked to about Jesus have responded. Jesus still is. Perfect love. He's still a gracious savior. The anointed king. The Messiah. And so these verses just kind of lead us to some natural questions and how we're going to respond today. And the first one is just kind of right to the point. It's, do you know Jesus? Have you heard what he has to say about who he is? And have you responded to that and accepted him as Messiah? It's laid out pretty simply in scripture. It's confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. And you'll be saved. So that is a moment between you and him. Can happen anywhere, anytime. And I would just say, you can do that right now. Here, before you leave today, you can know Jesus. And if you do that, if you take that step of belief, come tell somebody, come talk to our prayer team at the end. One of our pastors, our ministers, we would love to celebrate that with you, give you a gift and help you figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus going forward. For some of us in here, it's, are you actually listening to Jesus? Are you really getting into this? Are you not just waiting from Sunday to Sunday or gathering to gathering? Are you, are you actually looking at this and hearing the words of Jesus and allowing those words to change you, to mold you, to shape you more and more into the image of Jesus? Are you living in the power of the Holy Spirit, realizing that his spirit is in you and with you always? empowering you to actually do the things that Jesus is calling you to in this and saying to you and reminding you of the things that he says to you through his word. 
And then lastly, are you hindered by fear or pride or maybe some other sin that's just holding you back, it's hindering you, it's keeping you from listening to Jesus and living in the power of the Holy Spirit? Wherever you're at, whatever the answers to those questions, we just wanna invite you to do business with God, to talk with him, to be open to what he's saying to you, to maybe have a renewed commitment to reading his word, to living in his power as we not only worship together, but as we go out of this place and help people see and experience Jesus. And so we're gonna sing a song all about the Holy Spirit. And I would just ask you to be open to whatever it is God's leading you to do. If it's sing out at the top of your lungs, just God, I'm gonna give you all of my worship, all of my praise, and I'm inviting you to take full control through the power of the Holy Spirit. Or if it's God, I wanna really lean into who you are more than ever before by listening to you. Or I wanna lay this sin down at your feet. Or I need to accept Jesus for the first time. Whatever it is you need to do, let's do it in this moment together as we respond. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are and will always be. It doesn't matter what any one of us think or say. You are unchanging. You are always loving. You are always gracious. And you are inviting us to hear, to taste and see that you're good. To realize that we've got your spirit in us that we can live in and walk in every single day. And so God, help us, whatever it is we need to do in this moment, whatever step we need to take, that you would lead us to that. We would commit to it. We would give it to you, God. So have your will and your way here, God. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.